All right, what's up, buttholes? Riding solo today on the Hurricane CrossFit podcast. No Kale. Kale is officially, not officially, I guess that's the day he's still chilling at home. But Kale will be heading off to Austin, I believe, for a much-deserved vacation. Uh, so all you guys who are in depression mode about Kale not being here, he should be back here on Monday to take care of all of you guys. So um, this is kind of weird, doing a podcast by yourself. I feel like kind of talking to yourself. So hopefully it's not too lame of a podcast for you guys to listen to, maybe on your drive to work or whatever it may be. Uh, and I posted in the group about possibly doing like a little Q&A. We had some questions, so we'll kind of talk about those a little bit. And then I figured, as well, it's a good uh, opportunity to also talk about the new strength cycle that's coming up next week for October. We'll kind of break that down. So hopefully I don't bore you guys too much. And you can stick around with me for the, the 30 to 45 minutes. I'll kind of be talking here to myself. And uh, it's always weird to kind of do this crap by yourself without somebody kind of bouncing ideas off of and we originally had started the podcast really to go in more in-depth discussion with you guys about things that we don't really have the opportunity to spend in class in more depth and discussions that we have with either individual athletes that come up to us and uh, it's just a way for us to get our knowledge and ideas out to you guys that way you kind of understand where the gym is going and our thought process behind the programming and some of the answers that we give you guys and, and, we, and we are able to go into more depth and detail about those things. So uh, so let's kind of go in order, I guess. Some of these are a little bit more serious than others. I have gone through some of these, not all of them. Uh, so question number one here comes from old Bryce Landry. So question number one, what movement should a person choose to scale between kipping pull-ups and bar muscle-ups in a wad? Chest to bar, strict pull-ups, stick to color options assigned. So I'm assuming the question is here, is what is the better option for somebody? And it's really, it's a really a depends question, right? Like they all have great benefits, right? When it comes to strict pull-ups or chest bar pull-ups or bar muscle-ups, whatever it may be. And honestly, depending on the color option that you choose, will depend on which variation that you're going to do. So if we're doing black, you guys know that it's going to be, for instance, yesterday's workout had 10 bar muscle-ups, I believe. Brown maybe had like six bar muscle-ups and then went to chest bar pull-ups, then kipping pull-ups, then like a supine row. And to be honest, any of those variations, even if I were to do them myself, would be a good option still a tough workout for anybody to do. It's not like that because I'm doing supine rows or strict pulls. That one is like more superior than the other one. Obviously, depending on what your goals are and how crazy you want to get with things is really kind of the, the answer that you should have. So like for instance, like a supine row is still a great option to build upper body pulling strength, especially like in the horizontal pulling plane compared to the vertical pulling plane. It's really hard to get strength in the vertical pulling pattern unless you have enough proof strength to do that. So you would need to do like maybe bat, like lat pull downs with a band or even on the cable machine, or you could do negatives, things of that nature. But in a wad setting, it's a little bit tougher to kind of pull those things off with. And so doing like a, um, a supine row is a great option, or you can do band of strict pulls, right? I would, the general rule is always to go by strict first before going to kipping. And obviously without any band resistance there to help you out. So if I was going to do a kipping pull-up, I would at least better recommend one to two strict, really good strict pull-ups. It's not like I barely get my chin bar and I kind of have to like dolphin kick it to the top. 
Um, and obviously, the more prereqs of strength I can build, the more advantageous it's going to be for me to do my kipping pull-ups or kipping chest bar pull-ups or my bar muscle-ups. You could not do a bar muscle-up or a kipping pull-up for the rest of your life, and you'd still be perfectly fine. You definitely still need to keep building up to pulling power, like strict pulling power. So regardless of the gender or the age, I still think trying to get a strict pull-up is very advantageous for most individuals for longevity-wise. But when it comes to kipping or bar muscle-ups, it doesn't really do you any favors in the way of like a, a health or longevity standpoint. It, those were only created to be able to get higher outputs of reps, right? So if I'm doing 20 chest bar pull-ups compared to 20 strict pull-ups, I'm able to knock out the 20 butterfly chest bar pull-ups in a lot faster style. So it almost kind of shades into like the, the sport of CrossFit. It'll get more work done faster. Um, but it's not necessarily something that you have to do. So it really just depends on what your goals are. It will kind of really depend on the answer to that to a degree. So it's kind of hard to really give a straightforward option. Uh, you know, you're more than welcome. Let's say you're maybe somebody who is relatively strong but doesn't really care about doing any of the uh, kipping movements on the rig. Like Donovan's a real good, good example of that, like a guy who's pretty fit, who's strong but doesn't have any desire to do any type of kipping work on the rig. So he can maybe do like brown weight, brown reps, but maybe do purple volume and pull-ups and do them all strict or blue volume and pull-ups and do them all strict. So it's really kind of it depends kind of question there would really um, give you a better answer there in more context. Uh, the second question on that one, is there any advantage slash disadvantage on barbell grip diameter that should be noted when logging scores? So... Yes, obviously the, the, the diameter of the barbell does matter. Just like with anything, the, a thicker barbell is going to be harder to, over a lot of volume of reps, hold on to compared to a thinner bar. <clears throat> I've done this personally where, let's say we're doing light power snatches, and I'll use a 25-pound barbell at 25-pound upper plates to make 75 pounds. It is definitely easier to hold on to a barbell that has less diameter compared to the thicker barbell that's the 45-pound barbell. Right, these barbells were originally made that way for Olympic weightlifting. There's a reason why they got the female barbell and the male barbell because of the diameter, the thickness of the barbell. Does it overall, is it like a humongous advantage? I won't say it's necessarily a humongous advantage to use a thinner barbell. It definitely is easier to a degree, no doubt about it. Um, it'd be like doing pull-ups on a thicker barbell or, or a thicker pull-up bar compared to a thinner pull-up bar. There, there is some differences there that will fatigue your, uh, your grip and your pulling power um, compared to a thinner barbell. The weight on the barbell is still the same regardless, but it's maybe you're giving an extra 1% to 2% extra advantage because now you're able to get a better grip on the barbell, which will allow you to pull the barbell better, if that makes sense. But I wouldn't get too wrapped in like logging that you use a 35-pound barbell compared to the 45-pound barbell because the weights are still the same, regardless at the end of the day. Um, is there an unspoken rule saying you can't take your shirt off unless you shave? Let the hamburger meat out, Bryce. Let that shit show, son. All right, Samantha Marso, what are the top three best exercises to help with barbell deadlifts for back pain? So, very complex question with a lot of different avenues to go down to respond to that. The on surface level, obviously, creating form and mobility is kind of like your first thing to check off with is your form solid? Is your mobility there? We have enough hamstring flexibility and glute and 
um, things of that kind of mobility to achieve a good position in the deadlift. If those things are automatically checked off and you're good there, uh, it, it could be a, a multitude of answers where potentially that you have weak glutes and hamstrings, maybe your midline's not strong enough to, a, to actually brace your spine when doing a deadlift. So if we're going to say we're going to pick like three individual exercises, I would say number one would be a single arm farmer's carry. So using a very challenging weight that's going to allow you to brace your midline and not tilt over one way and holding it for 100 plus feet per side roughly. Uh, that'll allow you to build more core strength and stabilizing strength to brace your midline. Because many times when people go to pull a deadlift that their midline's not strong enough to brace against the weight and so their back takes over more of the movement to compensate for the pulling of the, uh, of the weight off the floor. And just because you're good at sit-ups or V-ups, that's not really the same thing. So there's a difference between having great core f uh, flexion endurance, right? So many times when people are doing ab work, they're doing a lot of volume of crunching, V-ups, things of that nature, right? That involve just a lot of volume of work. And so you're, you're, you have great core flexion endurance, so, but you don't necessarily have, quote unquote, a strong core, meaning if I were to think of like a football player where they're getting tackled from the side, that they have to brace against all that force hitting them from the side without you know, breaking their spine or compensating their spinal alignment. And that's really the difference. It's kind of like saying somebody who is a runner has strong legs. They have great aerobic endurance, or maybe their legs have great endurance, but they're not very strong. It's the same concept with your core where you know you can necessarily have abs and not have a strong core, and you can not have abs and have a strong core. It's really about bracing against an external uh, motion or object that you're having to pull from the ground or something hitting you from the side that you're able to brace your midline. is really, really important there to uh, achieve a non-pain in your lower back. It's probably the number one I would go with. But uh, not knowing for sure where the weak link in the chain is, then also you kind of move to the glutes or the hamstrings. So doing things like a, like a single leg barbell hip thrust or Bulgarian split squat or GHD hip extension, things like that would be great options to help build some of that glute and hamstring work as well as um, any type of hamstring curl movement. So it could be like a machine hamstring curl. It could be like a monkey foot curl. It could be a Nordic curl, could be banded hamstring curls, uh, all those fun. Just really think about kind of those individual body parts are more than likely your weak links in the chain. But I would have to assume more than likely it's probably your midline being the issue there, not your glutes and hamstrings. It could be a potentially an issue, but more than likely is you don't have enough strong enough core to brace your midline is more than likely the answer there. So um, I'm trying not to go too crazy long in each one of these answers. Um, Haley's is definitely the most complex one to answer, which I know we've talked about this before on the podcast. I just can't remember what you know what show it was, how far back it was. So I'm going to try to keep it as brief as possible. But Haley's question is, how long does it take you to program a week of workouts slash do, do you do multiple weeks at one time? What is your process slash method of madness? So... The answer, I guess, is the, the second part of that question is, or sorry, the first part of that question is how long does it take me to program a week worth of workouts? It would take me somewhere, it takes me right around, depending on, it's kind of like, 
writing, right? If you ever wrote an essay, you know, or you write in general, sometimes it flows out easier than others. So sometimes you can sit there and write an essay and knock it out in, you know, an hour, two hours. And it's no big deal. Sometimes you have that writer's block, but it takes you a lot longer. And it's the same concept with writing workouts where sometimes the ideas just kind of flow out on the paper and it's really, really quick. I say really quick, but it's, you just kind of flow through it a lot easier for the whole week compared to sometimes you kind of write something up and you're not really sure how you want to go about programming it or structuring it. Or sometimes you write something up and you kind of get further into the week and then it kind of messes up another day and you have to restructure the whole week. Uh, so those will kind of manipulate how long it takes me to program a week. But in essence, somewhere in the range of around an hour and a half to two hours of program a week is about how long it takes me to do that. I usually do one week at a time. Uh, I don't do, now they will, obviously the strength cycles are kind of programmed for four weeks at a time right now. The individual weeks are programmed one week at a time, and they'll kind of mesh together based off what we've done before in previous weeks. Uh, so it's not like I make a whole month at one time. I found when programming that far ahead and that many weeks in advance, that there's too many factors that make things change and ends up messing up the whole program. So I usually like to do one week at a time, and I'd kind of just look at the weeks previously before that to kind of help mesh to the next week. Uh, but usually, like as of right now, your program is already kind of written in advance about three weeks ahead of time where you currently are. So, but I do only write one week at a time though, but it is in about three weeks in advance of where you guys currently are right now. Um, the process slash method to the madness there is multiple things that go into play there that really dictate what the program is going to look like for an individual week when it comes to the, I'm assuming this question has to come down to like the workouts, the, the Metcons, not the strength pieces. I'm assuming is where this question is, gonna, is coming from. And so, um, and, it, and it's tough because sometimes a program that's, when it comes, I guess the way I'm trying to think of this is fundamentally textbook sound. That's, that's like, okay, this program on paper is hitting all the check boxes, but it's not really a fun program that people enjoy, then that program's shit. And then same thing vice versa, where you can write a program that looks really fun and really cool, but it's not effective, then that's also not good. So it's hard sometimes to marry both those worlds together, right? Because there's still some benefit, for instance, like if I programmed four sets of 400 meter runs with a two minute rest between each one of those, that's still a good test of fitness, but who the hell wants to come run for four sets of 400 meter runs? Not many people want to do that. Or 10 sets of 10 second sprints on the bikes. Nobody really wants to do those things. It's, it's effective, right? There's still plenty of adaptation that can happen and you'll see uh, some fitness occur from doing that, but it's not a very fun thing that people want to do. And it's the same concept when it comes to your sprint workouts versus your longer time domain workouts. From my experience over the years, people tend to not really like all the, the sprinty type workouts. They tend to favor the 10 plus minute long workouts because they feel like they got a better workout. They sweat more, they quote unquote burn more calories in that session. And so they just enjoy that style of workout more. I still like the programs and sprints here and there. I still think they're beneficial. And they definitely have their place, but most people just don't like those style of workouts. And so that is the balancing act of programming for a gym. 
is where does that balance fall where people like coming to the gym and look forward to the workouts. Uh, they're not stale, they're good, but they're also effective. Uh, many, many gyms, CrossFit gyms, outsource their programming now where you know, they pay CrossFit Mayhem or whoever may be out there, uh, NC Fit, different things like there that uh, people will program. They'll buy somebody else's programming, right? But uh, I've never been a big fan of that personally. I like that process of programming. Yes, it definitely takes time. Uh, but it's kind of our own recipe to programming, right? That you guys can't get anywhere else because it's specialized to our gym. And, uh, and so when it comes to the more, uh, how I think about a week itself. So we talked on this before, but, uh, one of the very first things that we try to look at is make sure we're balancing out the body where we're hinging and squatting, uh, an equal amount. Sometimes, yes, you might have one week and maybe squat one extra time that week or maybe hinge one extra time that week, but we're trying to balance out the squatting to the hinging so the posterior anterior side of the body is getting balanced out so you're not squatting five times one week and hinging five times one week. You're, uh, you're balancing that thing out. And ideally, we try to get about three of those per week. We have three hinge and three squat roughly. Uh, same thing with your pulling and your pushing where you're pulling and pushing this equal amounts and you're trying, we're trying to at least get one movement that you guys are doing something to carry, uh, not like a farmer's carry, but you're just moving an object a certain distance, like a, a D-ball carry or a lunge or a farmer's carry or just an, an, or examples of that. And then one movement, if, if possible, one movement that goes from the floor to over your head, it could be like a dumbbell snatch, could be a clean and jerk, is kind of what we look to get in each individual week. Some weeks are better than others. They're not completely always 100% balanced. This is kind of sometimes we have multiple variables going on, but on the surface level, that's kind of one of the first things that we do look at is that. Uh, obviously, volume-wise of what you're doing as well will come into factor, how many reps you're completing in individual weeks. So we don't want a week where every workout is 50 plus reps of everything. We don't want one, one week where everything is under 10. Uh, we try to manipulate that where you have some workouts that are obviously low dosages of, of volume of reps and some doses are very high doses of reps. Uh, like I said, time domain does play a factor a little bit as well where we're trying to decide you know, how, much, how long we want you guys to work out for. Uh, shorter times, longer times, making sure that we're kind of hitting those different time domains. Weight loading is another factor as well is, you know, do we have a light day in there? Do we have a moderate day? Do we have a heavy day? Uh, are the heavy days all the way on squat days? Are the heavy days on going overhead? Make sure you're balancing out. For instance, let's say you're doing a press, like an overhead press. We, in a month, in at least a one month given time, we at least try to have one heavy day going overhead, one light day going overhead, one moderate day going overhead. Same thing for your squatting, same thing for your, uh, your pulling. Different variables like that are also at play there. Um, what else? Uh, obviously, logistics of the class setting. We might write a workout out, but logistically, it doesn't make sense in a class setting with, you know, a class of 15, 20 people. That's also to be considered as well. Um, also, do we want this to be a task priority, time priority, interval, uh, balancing those things out? Do we have single modality movements? Meaning, do we have just like one individual movement? Do you have a triplet? Do you have a couplet? Do you have chippers? Things like that. Um, obviously running, rowing, jumping, making sure we're getting a balancing act of that. We're not just running all the time. We're not just rowing all the time. We're not just biking all the time. Make sure we're balancing those things out and also the distances of those things. So there's a, there's, 
there's so many different factors that you know we could probably make a whole entire podcast on just that one individual topic, but uh, but making sure we're blending all those things, and we kind of try to in about a month's time frame, making sure that we're touching on all those different variables, not necessarily on a week standpoint, but on a month standpoint, roughly. So uh, that one I could have gone to a lot longer. So hopefully that makes some sense. Sydney Landry, your biggest gym pet peeve, and what is your proudest moments as a coach that you can remember? <sighs> answer the part one, Calibo. Answer part two, Calibo. Um, so, biggest pet peeve, I know we talked, Cal uh, asked me this question a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and it is when somebody, like for instance, somebody chalks the floor and you make a comment about them keeping the chalk in the chalk bucket, and their instant comp, or answer that is they pay for their membership so they can do what the fuck they want. That's an automatic will set me off where, you know, you don't go into Walmart and, and stomp on, um, you know, a thing of cereal and throw it all over the ground and say, well, I'm a paying customer so I can do what I want here. That's not how things work. You still have to take care of the gym and take pride in the gym and keeping it clean and, and be just like any other member would anywhere else in any gym setting just because you're a paying member doesn't mean you can just trash your gym just because you're a paying member. That's automatically a, a red flag for me. When it comes to the proudest moments that you can remember, oh man, usually the ones that always are the highlights is the, the muscle up, like the ring muscle up, the bar muscle up is always kind of like the, the big gold star for so many people to work towards and get. And, you know, there's been obviously plenty of times where we've seen athletes get those things. Like for instance, I remember Mike Lindowski one time got his first bar muscle up and Vincent got his first bar muscle up at, um, what the hell is that competition called here at the uh, Burton Coliseum? Um, it's, a couple, it's probably 2015 time frame. They had hosted a competition at the Burton Coliseum here locally. And I think the last workout, the final workout had bar muscle ups for the intermediate division. And, Mike Lindowski and Vincent Solis both got their bar muscle up in that competition. I remember the whole crowd like freaking out and going crazy. That's uh, that one if they rang true to my head for sure. Uh, I remember one time working with Melinda for like 30 minutes in here, one on one, working on a bar muscle up. That one rings true to my head. Um, but anybody like in that at retrospect has always been a real proud moment. Uh, a lot of the open memories of people pushing way past their boundaries or somebody coming back and redoing a workout and uh, getting a score around better than what they did before and leave it out on the floor. Those things always make you the proudest because you can kind of see how proud they are themselves in that moment. And that's always the biggest dividend when as a coach. Daniel Newland, will CrossFit kids ever make a comeback at Hurricane? So good question. We had this back in the day, so at the old box we had CrossFit Kids, and for a short period of time here at the new box, we opened back in 2014 in this location, we had CrossFit Kids for about a year maybe. This is when Mary Cole was still here um, before she moved up north. Uh, that's Matt Cole's mom for all you guys who aren't OGs. It's not that we'll, I won't say never not make a comeback. The only issue with the CrossFit Kids class would be that we would have to revamp the afternoon schedule, right? So we'd have to essentially, the only option you would either have to A, eliminate a class 
or B, you would have to basically make a 30 minutes cross a kids class with a, where it essentially would rearrange the schedule. So an example of that might be that you have a three o'clock class, you have cross the kids at four to 4.30, and then you have another class at 4.30, 5.30, then 6.30. That would be the only options on the table to be able to do that, or you would have to do something maybe like on a Saturday or a Sunday as a substitution to do that. That would be, I'm not saying that would never happen, um, but that's the only thing that's been kind of holding the brakes on that is because of the fact that we had to completely rearrange the afternoon schedule to do that. And that's been what's kind of been uh, holding us back. <laughs> when it comes to, uh, do you have a secret zip drive that stores all the videos of people busting their asses? If yes, can we add a watch party at the Christmas party? But if no, can we add Cal's duties to start compiling that footage? Man, if I would have thought about this 10 years ago, oh man, it'd been YouTube sensation with all the uh, busted asses up in here on boxes and tripping over barbells and, and things of that nature. So I wish I would have. That's a really good idea, Danielle. So I'll have to think about that going forward. Maybe I still I still have some Facebook memories that pop up of people busting their asses. So maybe I just need to save some of those things for the next year when they pop up in my feed. And we can show those. The most fond memory, though, is Matt Bell doing double unders and his pants falling down down to his ankles because he has no ass. Has it all back of the crack. Uh, Bryce Landry, technique and damper setting for rowing for calories versus meters. So, the, I guess obviously the question would be, what is the difference when rowing for calories or for meters? Essentially, beyond would be the easiest thing. Is there any difference in technique, or would you set the damper differently for that? Uh, both of those answers would be no. So you wouldn't change your technique and you wouldn't change your damper setting for rowing on calories versus meters. So you might hear some people say, you know, put it at 10 to try to get more, more calories or put it at a lower rate um, for less resistance so you can go for more meters. Um, the technique stays exactly the same. You don't change your technique in the way of your, your catch or your pull or your recovery because you're rowing for calorie versus your meters. Is there going to be a difference? For instance, if I have somebody rowing 50 calories, one is rowing at 1,500 calories an hour and one is rowing at 1,000 calories per hour. Yes, the person who is rowing at a higher calorie per hour, that 1,500 marker, will technically row less meters than the person rowing at 1,000 calories per hour for the 50 calories. But that doesn't mean the technique or the damper changes okay hopefully that makes sense i know that's a little confusing and it can sound confusing to a lot of people so because essentially still at the end of, at the end of it you still have to think about what kind of energy you're displacing on that rower and so you don't high, you don't sit to a higher damper because then that's also going to be more fatiguing when doing that and so that's why we like for instance yesterday we posted on Instagram, the, the damper technique by using that damper drag factor on your monitor to determine where that damper is. On each individual rower, that's going to change. So one rower, you might be at a four on the damper based off that drag factor on the monitor, and one rower, you might be at an eight. So you need to test that when starting each workout to determine where that damper is gonna be for you, but the technique itself stays the same. The only caveat I would say that maybe the only strategy that maybe would change for your rowing versus calorie versus meters would be like if you're gonna do a 30 cal row sprint where it would pay off dividends to pull really hard and really aggressively with a higher damper setting to achieve more calories because that monitor has to calculate 
as you're pulling to a calorie conversion. It doesn't have to do that so much when you're on meters. So that would be like the only caveat that maybe like an asterisk there, maybe strategy would change, but, um, but no, I mean, overall though, no, it, it doesn't change just because you're rolling for 50 calories or 1500 meters, your, your technique's gonna be the same, right? You're still basing off of good positions, good stroke rate, good power with each individual stroke of that rower um, as you do it. So that's a very simplistic answer to that as best I can without going too far in depth. Can you talk about, this is Heidi, can you talk about how if you have to drive a son to make bad choices late at night, you might have a problem? Chris Hood, do you know that she's calling you out on that one? Um, Shelly Gidry, what about if you're doing fasting but you work out early a.m.? Does it affect your output if you fast till evening asking for a friend or is it just in their head that they really just suck? <laughs> All right, so I'm assuming I'll see Shelly is probably waking up working out and then going for an extended amount of time. Let's say an example of that, not for sure, but let's say she's not eating till two or four o'clock in the afternoon. Will that affect her output in the gym? Uh, to a degree, yes, it can, obviously, because you're not getting any nutrition thereafter when you're working out to uh, start the recovery process. As long as you're still getting in enough calories to support your exercise and you're eating in a way that um, is based off your goals, what will affect your body composition in that standpoint? Uh, no, just, just because you're fasting doesn't mean all of a sudden you're going to burn more fat or whatever it may be. It just It gives you less window time to eat. So because you have less time of a window to eat, then you're more than likely to eat less calories, which you can then help you drop more body fat. But when it comes to uh, your performance, it can affect your performance. Like the one of the big caveats when it comes to fasting is because you, you do have a shortened time to eat. So let's say you're only going to eat from 2 to 8 p.m. every single day. Well, it becomes extremely more difficult to get enough protein in as well because protein is a lot more satiating and harder to kind of get through, especially like meat sources. So if you're trying to get 135 grams of protein in a day, for, for Shelly as an example, then she might have a harder time getting that because she has a shorter time window to eat. Compared to she get able to spread that out throughout the day, it might be a little bit easier to come from, which can then also affect her recovery process from workout to workout which will then obviously affect her later in the week as she's kind of compiled more and more volume in her workouts. Um, so yes, it could potentially, fasting could potentially definitely affect your output in the gym, no doubt about it. Eating, there's a reason why you don't see pro athletes doing fasting um, because that's not advantageous for performance. Uh, can it have um, good effects on body composition? Sure, like I said, it really just comes down to because you have a restricted time window to eat, you're more than likely to eat less calories. Because you eat less calories, you're more than likely to drop weight or body fat. Um, but like I said, the only thing as well is with fasting, a lot of people have a hard time getting enough protein consistently enough because they do have that shortened window. Um, Lacey Guillory, how do you lose weight and gain muscle mass? Oh, shithead. Um, so if you guys don't know, this is a running joke that's been on for multiple years with Lacey here, especially when Lacey was competing. Lacey's always been known for her engine, but not her strength. Um, and so the running joke's always been that she needs a program that's going to allow her to, uh, stay lean and also gain plenty of muscle mass. And the, always the answer has been get steroids. Um, 
But I know some of you guys have maybe, that was definitely an inside joke for, for her, but I know some of you guys maybe looked at it and maybe want the answer to that question as like a serious note. Uh, trim bologna sandwiches, Justin Saul says. Uh, so is it, so first off, is it possible to gain skeletal muscle mass and drop body fat at the same time? Sure. It's definitely possible to do that. Um, especially if you are a newbie to the gym, it's extremely possible if you're starting weights for the first time and get into like an actual exercise regimen for the first time in years or first time ever. Yeah, there's a lot of potential that you're going to do both of those things, especially if you're doing some, even a partial nutritional practice. But um, as you progress further down the, the road of fitness, that becomes more and more difficult, especially the more seasoned you are and uh, throughout your, your training life cycle. So there's different case scenarios for that. So what I mean by that is maybe you've been consistently working out for multiple years, but uh, it's been a little bit consistently inconsistent at times where uh, maybe you come to the gym maybe twice a week, one week, maybe that next time it's five times a week, the next week, maybe time it's one time next week. And you're to a degree, you're, you're working out and you're getting the movement in, that's great, but maybe the intention's not as high as it could be just by simpling up your volume more consistently with higher intensity could elicit a response to increase the muscle mass and burn body fat. And obviously pairing that up with proper nutritional protocols um, can accelerate that progress, right? But um, it, it doesn't, it's not like it's, it's, a, it's a one-way street where it's like, yes, like this is the only way to do that. Um, there's multiple ways to go about losing weight and gaining muscle mass at the same time. It just, a lot of times it, it requires just more volume in the gym, more intensity with the gym as well on a more consistent basis. And then eating a consistent enough protein and eating in a way that's around your calorie maintenance levels, maybe slightly lower into a calorie deficit to have that weight loss or body fat percentage. So if your calorie maintenance levels are 2000 calories and you're eating 1800 calories, on a consistent basis, you're in enough calorie deficit to elicit a weight loss response, but you're, um, you elicit enough intensity and protein and things like that to maintain, if not build a little skeletal muscle mass. But just like with anything else, that will plateau over time. So let's say you do that for four months, inevitably you're going to see a stagnation in one or the other, whether it be the weight loss or the, the, the muscle mass gaining. You're, you're gonna eventually see a plateau. And, and at that point in time, you have to make a decision of what is more important to you. Is that losing the weight or gaining more skeletal muscle mass? And what I usually tell people is I would suggest that you always try to get to a lean enough rate that you feel happy and you're comfortable with. And then once you've gotten that leanness, because that's always the hard part is getting the lean part. That's the hard part. Um, but once you get to that certain leanness, then you can then increase your calories to around maintenance, if not slightly above maintenance to help elicit more muscle mass gain. Now, with the caveat being that you're still training consistently with enough intensity as well. So kind of using the 2000 calorie example of that, if I increase that roughly about 10%, so we're looking at about an extra 200 calories, so about 2200 calories about what I'd be eating. That way I'm not gonna put on a lot of weight and I'm eating just enough calories to elicit a uh, response to increase skeletal muscle mass, but not so much where I'm putting on a shitload of body fat. Because if you really swing that pendulum in one way or the other a lot from your maintenance calories, so what I mean by that is if you 
or at 2,000 calorie maintenance levels, and you, you want to drop a lot of weight and a lot of body fat, well, you, and you drop that down to 1,200 calories, yes, you're going to lose mass. You're going to lose a lot. You're going to lose a decent amount of weight. You're going to lose body fat, but you're also probably going to lose a lot of skeletal muscle mass in the process. That's kind of the, the thing with people who are taking the weight loss shots is that, yes, they're dropping a lot of weight, but they're dropping a lot of muscle mass in the process. And that's not ideal. You're looking for the quick response. And then same thing vice versa is if, say, you really want to put on mass and gain weight and you bump from 2,000 calories to 2,800 calories and you might gain 15, 20 pounds, and that's great. And some of that will be muscle mass, but a lot of that will also be body fat. And so we want to kind of stay roughly 10% less of our calorie uh, maintenance levels or 10% above is a good option to where you're going to build a little bit of skeletal muscle mass and, and keep the weight down or you drop some body fat and maintain a lot of that skeletal muscle mass. So it really depends on where you are in the journey. It will kind of depend on what the answer is that. And then finally, Justin, Saul, Justin Shaw says, why are you the way that you are? I am the way I am because of you, Justin Shaw. That is why. All right, so I think that touches all the bases. We're at 36 minutes in on this podcast, so hopefully I wasn't too long-winded. I'm not talking over myself in circles too much. Uh, I always hate listening to myself talk on these damn podcasts. I hate the way I sound. All right, so uh, now we're done that part. Let's talk about our new strength cycle, which will start up this Monday, October 2nd. Mary Alice should be almost done with the video for the new strength cycle that'll be posted on social media here in the next day or two. Um, but same concept, we'll run this for four weeks through the month of uh, August. Um, we'll kind of keep a similar structure to what we just did um, this past previous structure, obviously with some different movements. So we're still gonna stay into like a front rack, front squat style movement, but instead of being like a traditional front squat, for the first time, we're actually gonna do a cyclist squat. So we've done cyclist squats on Thursdays uh, where essentially the feet are at a, a slanted, almost 45 degree angle um, where the heels are really, really elevated, which allows you to stay a lot more vertical in your squat, but it's very, very quad intensive. So anytime you get in that really vertical position like that, uh, the glutes and the hamstrings don't really get as much work. And we're gonna kind of do that here with that cyclist front squat and that front rack position. So think of it like you are doing a front squat, but you're gonna elevate your heels on some 45 pound plates uh, and you're gonna feel a lot more burning your quads. When doing that, you're not gonna be able to lift the loads like you normally would. And we're gonna go with a, a decent amount of volume with that. We're gonna say like somewhere around that eight rep range. So uh, you're not gonna be super high on the weight and making sure we're going through a full range of motion with doing that as well. So we're trying to cover the calves with our hamstrings when doing that as best as possible. And we're also gonna pair that up with a goblet Cossack squat. So a lot of our CrossFit movements are performed in that sagittal plane. So we do you know, a lot of running, jumping, uh, flexing and extending of the arms. So like squatting, deadlifting. So a lot of the movements are kind of down in that anterior, posterior chain axis, right? And we speak a lot of the anterior and posterior side of the body and that's where you know, 89% of our CrossFit movements come from is in that sagittal plane. So one thing we don't do a lot of is kind of that front frontal plane where we're kind of working side to side motion. And so that allows us to kind of work into a different plane that we're not used to. Uh, and plus it's a great exercise to help build mobility and strength in that mobility as well. Because one thing to have the mobility, it's one thing to have strength in that mobility. So uh, the goblet squat's great for obviously opening up the adductors and the groin as well as a good glute and groin builder as well. So we'll do, uh, we'll pair that up together. So kind of a leg day on Monday, 
Tuesday, we're gonna go back to some vertical pressing with the strict press. So we did kind of a handstand push-up, see a press combo, and we're gonna stay in that vertical plane for now. <laughs> but we're gonna go with a barbell strict press with this, and we're actually gonna do some cluster sets. So we've done cluster sets a lot of times, like in pull-ups or push-ups, where, for instance, you might do like 10 reps, rest 10 seconds, 10 reps, rest 10 seconds, 10 reps. And we're gonna do that same concept with our strict press clusters. I think we're gonna start with our first week with four, so it'll be 4.4.4 with a 10-second rest on each movement. So you'll do four strict press, rest 10 seconds, four strict press, four, and rest 10 seconds, four strict press. Uh, so it allows us to build a decent amount of volume of reps while maintaining heavier loads to do so. So if I was going to do just 12 straight reps, my weight loading would probably be a little bit lighter compared to if I was able to do the 4.4.4 reps. I can add a little bit more volume in there with a little bit higher weight to allow for a little bit more intensity. So that's kind of the advantage of doing those cluster sets. Uh, and we'll also pair this up with some diamond push-ups. So we're going to really smoke out kind of as a finisher to the triceps uh, on the pressing. So we're definitely working higher volume during the cycle with the strict press and the diamond push-ups. So and if we have an obviously an issue with the diamond push-up, we can always elevate the hands on the surface. But the biggest thing with any of these movements is obviously working through a range of motion as best as possible. On Wednesdays, we're going to work... Um, so Wednesdays I've been trying to program like a skill movement of some kind, whether it be like the rope climb or handstand walk or whatever it may be. Because in class, we don't really have time to go into great detail about some of these movements, uh, especially for some of you guys who maybe want to try to get them or maybe can do them but need to refine them to make them look better or be more efficient. It's so on Wednesdays, we'll be working on some bar muscle-up technique, meaning jump to hollows, hips the bar, and also performing some bar muscles, but under not uh, so much fatigue there. Uh, so for some of you guys who can get them, or maybe not the prettiest, and you need to refine that skill and, and movement, this is a great opportunity to do that. Obviously, for some of you guys who can't do a bar muscle-up or have no desire to do a, a, a bar muscle-up, then what we're going to do as a substitution to that is going to be some type of pull-up negatives, because like we talked about earlier in the podcast with Haley's question, uh, or somebody's question about Oh, sorry, Bryce's question about the kip and pull-up, things of that nature, that most of you guys should still be striving for getting a strict pull-up. So and negatives are a great tool to be able to achieve that where you're jumping to the top and then controlling yourself down in a controlled fashion and a lower. So that'll be kind of our substitution for that. So that'll actually more of a strength piece for the people who can't or don't want to do a bar muscle-up. And then we're actually going to move... Uh, and do a little bit of core work with this as well. Um, we're going to do some kettlebell oblique crunching or some type of uh, rotational work. So once again, it's a way for us to work into a different plane. Like I said, we work a lot of our movements in the sagittal plane, but we don't do a lot of movements in the frontal or transverse plane. So transverse would be more like rotational work. Um, and so the kettlebell oblique crunch is a little bit of rotational work. It's not like necessarily a twist but is, is more of a rotational movement, which we don't get a lot of in CrossFit as well. So it's our way to kind of fill in the holes of what a traditional CrossFit program would be. That's the way I like to view it at least because uh, we're trying as best as possible um, to make this a, a holistic approach to fitness overall in all these different touch points. And CrossFit definitely has some holes in the programming that we try to patch up in between. Uh, and we try to patch it up a lot of times in our strength work and uh, like our Thursday workouts as well. So you'll kind of see that on Wednesdays would be bar muscle technique and core work. And then Thursdays for you ladies, because I know this past cycle was a little bit more bro-seshy, 
with curls and tricep extensions. We're going to allow you guys to work on the booty this time. So we're going to go more posterior work with the glutes and the hamstrings. So we're going to do something different. Uh, we've never done this before in class. I've programmed it here recently a little bit for some of my X-Equal that I programmed for, but it will be a single leg landmine hip thrust. So think of it just like a barbell hip thrust where the barbell is kind of resting across your thighs. Uh, it's essentially the same movement, but you're only going to have that barbell. So one of the barbell basically be resting on the floor like a landmine position with that um, sleeve of that barbell resting on just one of your hips. What your, your upper back still up against the bench and you're going to glute bridge with one leg with that weight loading. So it's a way for us to work the glutes and hamstrings on unilateral work, so one leg at a time. And you'll do a decent amount of reps. I believe we're starting off with 12 reps the first week. So you'll do 12 on one leg and followed by 12 on the other. And we're going to pair this up with a Russian kettlebell swing. So a lot of times you guys don't really think about kettlebell swings as a good glute and hamstring builder, but it's essentially still a hinging motion, right? It just involves a little bit more speed to the movement. So if I was doing like an RDL, an RDL is very, very similar to what a kettlebell swing would look like, where I'm getting a stretch of the hamstrings and then I'm firing those glutes and hamstrings to bring the weight up. Same concept with a Russian kettlebell swing. So still a great builder for the glutes and hamstrings and the core as well, because you're having to stabilize as you come down off the uh, the Russian swing. And that'll also be a decent amount of volume. I believe we're doing like 20 or 24 reps in that first week. So it's a great way to kind of build that backside of the body. So especially for you girls who are looking to kind of work some more of that stuff, that's what we'll be doing on Thursdays. Uh, and so that's gonna be our general strength cycle. You guys have kind of noticed we haven't done anything uh, traditional like big lifts here as of late, uh, the past couple uh, strength cycles. That'll probably change up as we kind of lead into November. We'll probably get to a little bit more uh, bigger lifts like this time we just went to the front squat that was kind of our big lift this time around uh, but we'll kind of go to a little bit more traditional big lifts like heavier lifts here as we get into the backside of the the year um, maybe hit some PRs for like deadlifting or bench pressing uh, as we kind of move into like the winter months here for you guys so uh, so that's kind of a, a brief preview of what you guys are looking at for that uh, for that strength cycle but um, so that was our podcast for the day. That was uh, all you guys' q and so I appreciate any of you guys who actually put your questions in. I appreciate it. There for a second, I thought I was going to get ghosted on the questions. I, uh, I was only going to be talking about the strength cycle today, so I appreciate you guys actually putting some questions in for me. And then uh, next week, Kel should be back to uh, actually help me out with this podcast a little bit that way. I'm not just being a douchebag here and just talking to myself the whole time. Uh, but appreciate you guys listening, and we'll talk to you guys next time.